You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm your host, Logan Medish of High Caliber History. I'm joined here with the Go Wild guys and some folks from gunbroker.com as well. Uh, and this week, we are talking about the KGB and some of their firearms. Uh, so there's some really secret squirrel stuff, uh, some Boris and Karlov, moose and squirrel, right? Moose some, and squirrel must die. Yes. So someone's got to do the, the really bad Russian accent. But anyway, so we're talking KGB stuff, spy stuff, Cold War stuff, if by the end of the show, one of us disappears you know why uh <laughs> we are now on some list oh let's be honest we've all been on multiple lists way before this started i send my nsa guy a christmas card every year it's fine right <laughs> i i think my my atf guy sits up at night with this look on his face like what the <laughs> I'm like I posted that just for you, you know. <laughs> Hi Dave. Right. Hi Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh on to something a little more serious. Yeah, let's let's talk KGB guns. Let's uh this is this is a good one. I for those of you watching and listening, we need you to sound off in the comments and let us know that we're wrong. No matter how we're doing it, we're wrong. Because I say Makarov and Alan says Makarov. All right. I, I don't know which one's Molotov. <laughs> <laughs> I usually say Shmirnov, but <laughs> so Popov, Popov. Yeah. So uh, really and truly, I don't know which is correct, Makarov, Makarov. Someone knows. They're probably both wrong. But well, tell us how much we're wrong in in the comments. If someone knows, that would be be great. Mm -hmm. But so, Alan, uh, talk to us a little bit about the 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 Maka Makarov. Well, uh, I mean the Makarov. Um, it's kind of the PPK of the Russian world. I mean, probably the easiest way to look at it, kind of a similar design. Um, it was kind of the standard issue for their security and, and their intelligent forces, you know, again, because it was smaller, easily concealable. It wasn't the most powerful gun they made, but, um, you know, the Russians, especially through the Cold War, never really were big handgun people. Their handguns have always been kind of smaller caliber, um, usually, high, usually higher velocity, but... You know, gr growing up like I did in the 80s and 90s, the, the Russian surplus guns were always dirt cheap on the market. You could yep. pick up, like, a the T-33 Takarov. T-33s, yeah. T-33. Um, you know, Mosin got rifles and carbines. The SKS was everywhere, you know, for a few hundred bucks. And the ammo was also cheap. I mean, they brought it in pallet load from overseas. You could get several hundred rounds of 76239 for, like, 49 bucks. You know, those days, long gone. Long gone. Long gone. But uh, for me, at least, the... Makarov, Makarov, whatever, Makarov. Let's just really mess it up. <laughs> the uh, well, I think we really Mac. the Makamakarov. Makamakarov. Yeah. yeah. There's a dance with that one, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, you know, it, it just added to the confusion of the 9mm. You know, cause yep. as, as the, the token gun guys in the room, you know, we all get the questions. Hey, I just bought something. It says 9mm. What do I buy? 
Well, you buy 9mm Luger, NATO, Parabellum, which kind of were all the same thing. But 9mm Kurtz, Takarov, Makarov, you know, are you in a 7.65, a 7.60? It's, it's just, yeah. oh my God, yeah, there's just so, nine. And we're not even going to talk about the 357, 38 calibers. <laughs> um, yeah. So 9mm, it's like, okay, great. Um, I'm going to, just just bring me the gun and I'll tell you from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, in this era, they were so cheap, the, the Makarov was, was really prevalent. Not a lot, a lot of people I knew growing up, their dads or they didn't have at least one tucked away in the self somewhere they picked up for like $79 at the local trading post. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and there's there's some interesting chicken or the egg stuff. At least that's how I consider it, chicken or the egg stuff with the the Makarov design because, you know, you've, you've obviously you've got the pistol, the PM, the pistol at Makarova, um, but you've also got 9mm Makarov, the ammunition, right? Um, and so... Unlike some designs where the gun and the caliber are kind of made for each other and they're they're in development at the same time and they're created. 1911-45. Right. That is not the case uh, with with this gun. Um, and, and actually, the ammunition came first. Hmm. Um, and it's a, a, a 9 by 18 cartridge. Different and than a 380, which is kind of also a 9 by 18 Right. Different than the 380. This, I believe, was the parent case would have been the 9mm Ultra. Um, and so, so it's based on that. Um, and it, it's, it's unusual that it even gets the name nine millimeter Makarov, uh, because Mr. Makarov, I can't remember his first name. Was it Alex? It's probably Alexander because he's, uh, or, or Nikolai. Um, anyway, that's not important. Mr. Makarov, we'll call him. Comrade uh, Makarov. Uh, Comrade, Comrade Makarov, Makarov. Yes. Uh, actually had nothing to do with the development of the cartridge. Um, the cartridge was developed, I believe, in the late 30s, um, and, and the guy who created it, whose name I can't even remember because he's that important to history, right? That poor guy. I think I, no, I think his name was Boris Seven. I, I think. I could be totally wrong. But, um, but yeah, uh, Comrade Makarov actually had nothing to do with the development of the cartridge. The cartridge was already in existence, and after... Uh, after a handful of years, I think it was in 1946, uh, Comrade Makarov starts designing this gun for this cartridge that, again, he had nothing to do with, but yet it's his name that ends up associated with both the gun and the cartridge. And I just think that's really interesting um, that, you know, he had he had nothing to do with it and just kind of wiped the other... Well, uh, maybe that is very fitting, very Russia, very KGB. They disappeared the guy who created the ammo, uh, you know. So the dude just creates a cartridge with nothing to shoot it with. What's What was he doing? Like, where does... I mean, I mean we've, we have a great history of Wildcat cartridges yep. that people decide that, I mean... 221 Fireball or, you know, any of the Roberts Cali or the JDJs. It's like, well, mm-hmm. here's a cool thing I can do ballistically. Somebody, Somebody make me a gun for this it. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a 950 JDJ, can someone make make me a rifle for this? Right. Yeah. No, uh, well, really what that comes out of is they're looking for something um, that, that has a little more power than what the M1895 Nagant revolvers were, were chambered for. They were looking for a cartridge with a little more ass to it. Um, and, and again, you know, we've got the TT 33s and the other guns like that, you know, they're, they're looking for a cartridge that's, that they can kind of improve on, uh, the, the overall quality of it. And that's, uh, and that's where you end up with the nine millimeter Makarov. 
Um, but again, you know, and as we've seen with a lot of the wildcat stuff, you know, the guys create the cartridge, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? You know, it's, it's kind of the gun world's field of dreams. It's it just, it cracks me up how it doesn't, you know, as radically different as, you know, the American military and Russian military, you know, philosophies, cultures, whatever are. We had a 38 cal revolver that we wanted more room for. They had a 7.62 or 38 caliber revolver they wanted some more room for. We went to a, a bigger semi-automatic cartridge. They went to a bigger. I mean, it's just the 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 parallels between the the histories and the militaries and their their changing needs are so closely linked for two bitter enemies. It's just it cracks me up every time. Yeah, absolutely. So this was as far as the Cold War goes. This was created. The Makarov was created like right after the end of World War Two, right? Like this was That's like correct. early fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, the gun is actually like 1946, 1947. So yeah, literally right at the end of the war. So yep. it seems like Russia had all of this industrial might right after the end of World War Two, and they developed cool guns for the times. And then how long did this? stay in service like until the late 80s right yeah that that gun is in service and and not just in russia you know in in a lot of the other communist bloc countries you know um and in you know there's german makarovs there's all uh yeah you know until the wall falls you know in 91 right i think it was 91 90 91 in the early 90s you know uh there there's there are makarov variants made by other communist countries in Mm -hmm. service everywhere you know, um, and it's it, it's just a ubiquitous design that you saw in Europe at that time. And, you know, it was if it ain't broke, don't yep. fix it. So then the, on the U.S. side, we're in the 50s just using our leftovers from World War II and not really developing new standards militarily or for the government until like the late 60s, yeah. early 70s. Not till, I mean, handgun-wise, not till the mid-80s. Yeah, we don't we don't adopt the Beretta M9 till 1985. So, you know, the 1911 and 45 ACP, ha- uh, it goes down in history with having the longest service life of any U.S. sidearm. It, it lasted for 74 years, you know, from 1911 to 1984, you know, and then we, we switched to the M9 and 9mm in 85 and then of course now we've got the m17 in nine millimeter mm-hmm. um yeah we didn't you know in terms of innovation if you will you know we were you know worshiping in the altar of saint browning and you know if it ain't broke don't fix it you know carry yeah. a 45 because they don't make a 46 <laughs> you know so so why is that because my and the way I've heard about the Cold War was everything was erased mm-hmm. and you know you had your space race and you had trade races and who can colonize what country in terms of their political system. So why were we not threatened by the development of this gun and were we just happy with the 45? Well, a part of it is, I mean, the handgun is such an afterthought by the military. You know, they're not issued to everybody anymore. It's really officer corps or mm-hmm. vehicle-borne troops, you know, tankers, that sort of thing. Um, and if you're down to your handgun, you've you're in trouble already you know because that so we we just don't care we're not we're more worried about the new mig 31 than we are the new handgun you know it's it's the 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 space race that's you know who controls the moon not no one really cares what nine millimeter handgun is in some kgb guys you know shoulder holster so these so these sort of developments you know not only for the pistols but also ak-47s and stuff 
the U.S. wasn't really super impressed. It's like it works for you, stamping metal and these super simple systems, but we'll stick with what we got. Well, I, I think, you know, if, if your enemy has a, a nuclear bomb, you're less concerned about <laughs> the pistol, what, in, their the pistol in, in their pocket. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I don't care how many how many Makarovs they churn out. I want to know how many nukes they've got yeah. pointed at New York City and San Francisco and, you know. Rifle um, we paid a little bit more attention to. You know, the AK, which Kalashnikov obviously had some inspiration from the, the German STG-44s. Um, you could draw out a roadmap where that takes us from rifle cartridges down to the intermediate size, you know, 5.56 that we use today. So you could see some development in that spot, but again, type or um, um, pistols really aren't looked that much more highly than typewriters. You know, you still need them both. Certain groups get them. They're just a commodity you really get. So un- unless somebody comes up with, you know, a handheld railgun or something just cra- that really shifts the tide on the battlefield, mm-hmm. we don't really care. We're more concerned about the ICBMs than we are the nine millimeter by eighteen. Yeah, and, and you know, interesting side note. Speaking of the ICBMs, did you know? Uh, that one of the main companies that developed ICBMs also made M14s. Hmm. Yeah, TRW. They uh, they licensed and, and made M14s, and they also made intercontinental ballistic missiles. So you know. oh, there you go. <laughs> Just a little side note that I, I find interesting. Uh, and you cannot pick those up on Gunbroker. Just in case yep. you the, the ICBMs. No, you cannot pick up an ICBM on Gunbroker, but you could get lucky and and find yourself a, a TRW. Uh, marked M14, uh, probably just the receiver since the M14s are, are select fire. So yeah. it may be a, a torched receiver that you might be able to rebuild. But at any rate. <laughs> so these Russian guns in the communist system, I'm guessing there wasn't a company that was producing it. It belonged to the government and they would shop it around to different factories and they could be the same gun could be produced by... I mean, the, the government would tell you what to make. You could yeah. be a tractor manufacturer, but if they needed some Makarovs made, then that's what they told you you were making. And if you didn't make it, then don't expect steel, electricity, water, whatever. You know, it's it, they control that. And, and again, every country they went into. So, you know, much the same way we look at... Um, you know, SKS is, oh, this is a Chinese made, this is a Bulgarian made, this is a, you know, whatever. Makarovs, Takarovs, all of the those surplus guns are kind of the same way. So some were built better than others, you know. Um, Polish Makarovs were looked at pretty high regard. Bulgarians, not too bad. Um, some of the Hungarian ones, a little questionable sometimes. Anything that says North Korea, avoid. Um, <laughs> so it, you really started to have um, kind of the, the tiered system based on that. Yeah, and and if you can, you know, if if you're in the market for a Makarov, you know, they're some of the few surplus handguns that still today are are fairly affordable. Yeah. You know, you can still get into a Makarov, you know, for a few hundred dollars, um, which I think is kind of cool because so much surplus stuff has just gone through the absolute yeah. roof. Yeah, um, we, that's we took a look at the the gun broker sales, and that was kind of one of the interesting things that popped up uh, today. You know, SKSs have gone from. Hundred bucks to five, six, seven hundred, depending on country of origin. Um, AKM receivers through the roof. Even TT thirty threes are getting kind of crazy mm-hmm. price, but the Makarovs maintain pretty good value. Um, there's still a good supply of them out there. You know, the price var- variation you're going to see is in either condition or the country of origin. Yep. Um, the one thing I will say, we are seeing a lot of import bans kind of starting to fall in place all across Europe, especially on the ammunition side. So if you've considered getting a Makarov or really any of the surplus guns like that that have 
you know, um, some unusual European calibers, mm-hmm. I wouldn't wait. They may not be there much longer. Right. Get them while you can. Um, stock up on the ammo while you can. Um, th- it, that may be a drying up supply quickly. Right. So was this 9 by 18 millimeter? Was that cartridge adapted to any other guns that they were making? Uh, that's a good question. And to, to my knowledge, you know, 9 millimeter Makarov it was chambered for that handgun and and that handgun only i don't know of any other guns that were chambered for the nine millimeter mac there there may be again someone in the comments can tell us we're wrong about things and and i would love to know if i'm wrong uh about that yeah certainly Um, not in wide distribution at least not at the the government level so why why is that if it was such a popular gun was it not that great of a round did a new round come along shortly after that was superior I think they they had that gun. They had a lot of that gun, and it worked. Yeah. So why why deviate? Mm-hmm. You so know, is, is there a civilian gun market in Russia at this time, or is it all military driven? I believe it's all military yeah, at driven at that point. At least on the the, the proper markets. Yeah. I mean, you're you're not walking <laughs> into you know Comrade Dick's Sporting Goods and buying a rifle off the shelf. Um, pretty much all firearms manufacturing is for military use so you know to, to logan's point they've got warehouses full of these things and crates of the ammunition and they don't necessarily want to change you know the so the communist bloc countries weren't really big on change across the board mm-hmm. um and then you throw in that there's just no consumer market whatsoever to drive innovation like here mm-hmm. you know we'd probably still be in the 45 acp if the consumer market hadn't gone nuts for striker fired guns like the glock and pushed heavy to get um you know that sort of a platform into their um, into their general military run. I mean, the, the special units that can kind of carry what they want, they went to Glocks years ago. So right. their experience and knowledge has kind of trickled through, but it's all because of that we have a consumer market and there is a monetary motivation to innovate where the Soviet machine just churned out what they churned out. I mean, firearms, but I mean, even look at their cars. You know, it's not exactly Ferraris and Porsches that they're building over there. They're still, yeah. still very utilitarian and just really haven't made much in the way of improvements until the wall fell. Then obviously... Game on. Yep. Yeah. And now that you can go to McDonald's, man, it's all sorts of innovation. You know, the, the salt on those fries fired up the brain cells and they're making all sorts of new stuff. Hello, capitalism. <laughs> that's right. So besides that gun, what else were they doing? Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's what I was going to say is that even though there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, large scale adoption and, and trying to find things, they, they did branch out into other guns. Um, and one of the really cool ones is the Stechkin pistol, uh, which is a select fire handgun, which is something that, one, you don't hear a lot about in, you know, comblock countries, but you don't hear a lot about them, period. Every, um, every country, though, tries. Every country, Aust- you have to try. Austria did the Glock 18, Beretta yep. did the 93R, yep. you know, um, Czech had the Scorpion, Czechoslovakia had the Scorpion. Everybody tries, and then right. they realize why it's a bad idea. Exactly. They're a ton of fun, you know, but there's there is absolutely nothing practical about a fully automatic handgun and these are one of those handguns that you could put a shoulder stock that's on, exactly right? right yep and they are cool as hell and they frankly are... you have to because otherwise yeah. it's t- if you go full auto it's target target berm berm sky sky airplane airplane you know it's it, they're just uncontrollable and this was not a, a high power i mean this, these were what 32 acp or, or a 32-esque caliber yeah somewhere in there so it's it's a smaller cartridge already and they're still but the rate of fire is what gets you it's yeah. do it, they have extended magazines or something like you, that you could get longer magazines for them 
Um, but it, you know, it was just, it was meant to be something, you know, for security forces and, and other specialized folks, KGB folks, you know, um, it was obviously not, you know, a standard issue military weapon like the Makarov pistol was, you know, it wasn't, here's your, you know, welcome to the military. Here's your Makarov. Here's your Stetchkin, you know? Yeah. Um, Actually, the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. The macro yeah. had that massive shelf life and just went on forever. And the Stethkin really didn't stick around in service that long because Comrade Rybar designed a wonderful little pistol, but it's just not practical for military purposes. Special units make sense. It's like, an, I look at it like kind of an MP5. It makes sense in the right uses and the right units, but you're not going to equip a brigade of Red Army troops with Stetchkins. It's just... It would have been really cool, though. Oh, it would have been. The sound would have been. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I Personally, I'd like to see a, a, a whole regiment of guys with Glock 18. <laughs> you know, that would be really neat. Though, I mean, ton of fun to shoot. Mm-hmm. But there just really is no practical purpose for that. Now, I will be the first one to say that practical purposes should not drive <laughs> what guns you own. I own a lot of stupid shit, you know. <laughs> I own a single-shot Altor pistol, 9mm uh, with a 9-inch suppressor on the end of it, just because I can, you know. So practicality shouldn't factor into these things. But but from a military standpoint, you know, and and, uh, and from, from a Soviet standpoint, which is where they're at, you know, everything's got to be very practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Stetchkin just wasn't practical to to adopt or issue on on any kind of a large scale you know um so so they are harder to find obviously because there were fewer of them made um and also because they're select fire you know at least in this country you know that that puts them as an nfa item and and things have to be registered uh, just like a glock 18 would be or a beretta 93r would be um so you can find them uh, but you got to be looking for them and you got to be prepared to pay up for them and to have heavy restrictions on them once you own them. Where you do see them prevalent, though, and everywhere, is every country's uh, movie armor studios. Mm-hmm. So, like, ISS stacked the gills with these, because for 50 years, at least, every bad guy in every movie carried a Makarov. Every bad spy had a Stetchkin. You know, that's mm-hmm. just, that's how you, like, these days, you know, you, you watch, and if they're using an iPhone, you know they're a good guy, because Apple won't give you the phone unless you're the good guy. So you I see, didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if you're watching a movie and you see someone using an Android, and they're a good guy, no, 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 no. They're going to be, they're, that's the big twist. If they've got an Apple, doesn't matter how evil they are, they're still going to be a good person at the end. Did you know that, movie nerd? No. So that, yeah, my wife ruins movies all the time going, oh, he's using an apple. He's not really the bad guy. Well, but now, okay, so now we have to go off on a slight tangent. I want to know what everybody has. I have an Android. What do you have? We must fight because I have an iPhone. Mm. Android. Android. iPhone. All right, so we're split. At, so least, the, at least it's a fair fight. The plot twist is they're secretly the double agents. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it's going down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that was always the tell. I mean, uh, I, I think the only good guy who probably carried a Makarov was uh, uh, from the man from UNCLE. He's now Ducky on the NCIS. Uh, mm. Donald, whatever, or David, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but that was probably the only Caruso. good guy who carried. <laughs> Wrong and NCIS? CSI. CSI. One of the initial oh, shows. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So that, that was the easy giveaway. If they pulled out a Makarov, didn't matter how good or bad they were, they were a bad guy. Right. I mean, even going back to Ronan when um, uh, Stelsgard or uh, uh, my blank on Skarsgard pulls, you know, he, he tw- twists them over in the bad thing and had a Makarov the whole time. <laughs> Obviously, he was the bad guy. How did you miss that? Has to be. That's right. Yep. Hey, you know who watches NCIS? People who have iPhones. 
Yeah, not, that's true. I don't one. watch NCIS. That not that is a great one. point. I do yeah. not watch it. Yeah. Um, s- random question. Random answer. Did we? Uh, did anyone ever make like a full auto nineteen eleven? Yes. Yes. Ooh. So, man, you'd think someone didn't listen to today's podcast episode. Yeah, that went, I know, yeah. right? Was it? The, did we talk about it earlier on this? Because you said the the Glock and the Beretta. And well, it, so we we talked about it in a previous episode here when we were talking about gangster guns. Um, they oh, they yeah, were not. Uh, it was not a factory made firearm by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I believe it was Dillinger. Uh, mm-hmm. Who had it? And it was uh, a 1911 with a Tommy gun foregrip mounted on the bottom of the slide and an extended magazine. And it was in 38 Super uh, and it was full auto. Yeah, and it com- cuts compensator off a Tommy gun as well. It was yep. a weird looking thing. It's cool as hell. Yeah, but definitely not something that was ever mass produced. It was, uh, it was, it was know. not John Browning approved. Let's put it that way. Awesome. Speaking of Browning, was Cold War when the Browning High Power was made? Wasn't that like 50s? So the High Power has an, uh, a very interesting history. Um, it's it's actually uh, less of a John Browning design and more of a Diudene Save design um, because Browning passes away before the high power actually makes it to market. Mm. Um, And so there are a number of modifications and different design changes that are done by Diudene Save uh, to bring that gun to market. But um, but yes, that that gun is uh, in sort of a a heyday, if you will, um, in some regards during the cold war you know they they made a lot of them in the 50s mm-hmm. and the 60s uh you know and those are kind of your really collectible yep. eras yeah um the, some the, early you know obviously world war ii stuff you yeah. know when they were made those are going to be you know ever popular and that was a new caliber as well cor- correct no that's that nine that's nine, in nine millimeter, oh, yeah. That nine millimeter? Mm-hmm. yeah a lot of the nato countries adopted the high power over the 1911 because nine millimeter was very prevalent in europe um Tons of it over there. A lot of their other pistols were chambered nine millimeter. Where forty five was kind of an American thing, and we weren't the only NATO country to carry it. But there wasn't a lot of them who adopted the nineteen eleven. The high power was was very popular among the the. I mean, obviously the sidearm of the British Army for ever. Ever. Yeah. Um, and this, all the special services. Um, several of their um, uh, associated countries. So Canada and Australia, the same thing. Yep. Yeah, English and Canada making yeah. the high powers. Yeah. So that might be. Kind of the capitalist Makarov. That's an interesting way to, to kind of look at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's my quote of the day. I'm done. <laughs> I, contr- I contributed. <laughs> capitalist Makarov. It's the Cap Mac. Yeah. <laughs> TM. Trademark. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Alan, what uh, what interesting things have closed on Gunbroker in the last week that, that might pique the interest of some folks? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, I did, you know, kind of look at the the, the, the um, uh, Russian surplus guns this morning and take a look at that. So, um, you know, that's where we've, again, really shocked at the values of some of the, the surplus stuff that's gone mm-hmm. crazy. Um, where the market really is holding strong, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, you could buy parts kits. So yep. basically they would take an AKM, which everyone calls them an AK-47, but the AK-47 only had a what, a couple-year shelf Very life short. before it became the AK modified, the AKM. Anyway, torch the receiver in half, so you buy everything. You'd get a flat piece of steel, go home, bend it all up, drill holes, run rivets through it, you'd make your AKs. Um, the parts kits dried up years ago, mm-hmm. but 
they're apparently I don't know if they've un, uh, found a rail car or one of them. Starting to see the parts get starting to starting to trickle back in here and there a little bit. Um, the pricing's crazy. Parts kits used to be a couple hundred bucks. You know now they're you know closing in on a thousand dollars from what we've seen. But um, the the really interesting part of the flat receivers. You know mm-hmm. it was the original eighty percent receiver because it was a flat piece of metal. So yep. um, that market is uh, I don't I don't know where it's at. If if anyone knows where it, or anybody's still making those, throw it in the comments because that was just yeah none to be found. So I don't know if, the, if that obviously follows the fact that the parts gets dried up. But now that there's kind of a little bit resurgence there, I'm curious to see if those receivers are coming back. Yeah, that would be interesting. Cool. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. Congratulations to every one of us sitting around the table. No no one got disappeared. Uh, congratulations to all the listeners and watchers. If you're did, still here. I did see someone coming on, uh, underneath your car out in the parking lot. Oh, it looked man. like he was we, putting something. Loose, no, he's just loose. cutting off the Cadillac converter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome to Kentucky, to by the way. <laughs> Today's really scary. It's raining outside, so everybody's carrying an umbrella, so I'm really nervous today. That's right. Yeah, but no, so if you've made it this far in the episode, that means you didn't get disappeared either, but it also means uh, we need to make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite platform. Leave us a review uh, on your favorite platform, Uh, otherwise you will get disappeared and you won't be here for the next episode, and that would be an absolute shame because we love having you guys here. So uh, that's all for us today on the No Low Ballers podcast. We will see you next week on the next episode.